Examples to that text, uh, 2 Corinthians. Last Sunday we were in 1 Corinthians. Uh, today, Father's Day, I've changed my text flow to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just these three verses. I'd like to also uh, just welcome uh, Josie to our service here this morning. Josie uh, was born last, uh, oh, just a little over a week ago, and uh, very thankful that Matt and Carrie have, have her with us this morning, and congratulations to Matt on a second-time father, and uh, just uh, thankful for them out this morning. We are uh, very thankful any time the Lord blesses with a birth. Let's just take a moment to pray. I need to just gather my heart and thoughts together here this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can turn our hearts to you. You are, as the scriptures describe for us the Father of mercies, the Father of comfort. You are an eternal God that might seem very remote, but you decided purposely to enter our world through the person of Jesus Christ. And in the mercies that were displayed to us on the cross, you've not left us without comfort. You have sent to us the Comforter to strengthen us, to empower us, to live for you in the midst of a world that is against you and your truth, a world in which we invent many gods to try to replicate the desires of our hearts. Lord, help us to quiet our hearts here this morning and listen to the description of who you are, that we would not imagine who you are, but we would believe what you have told us to be true about yourself. And may we have great comfort and strength from that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, you may, if you are in the world of social media, you may see all kinds of posts celebrating fathers and painting pictures of, you know, joy and fun. Now some of these images may create a weight upon you, particularly if you've not had a particularly great upbringing. You might actually look at perfect families, having perfect fathers and having perfect fun, and realize, my life wasn't quite like that. And it might actually, looking at some of these things, might cause pain for some people here this morning. Pain can come in many different ways. It can be the loss of a father. It can be potentially a time in which you look back and realize, you know, maybe my father hurt me. But as we celebrate Father's Day, there might be a tinge of pain for some of us as we consider. But some of the reality might actually be that as you know your own heart as a father, you might be touched with the sense of pain that I, that I have not lived to be the father I had hoped to be. 
And I want you to know that if that's true for you here this morning and you're grieving in silence, you have a heavenly Father who sees and knows and cares. If no one sees what has occurred in your heart, you have a heavenly Father whose Son He sent to atone for any crimes that may have committed against you, that you feel, or that you have perpetrated, or that you have had in your own heart and life. I think it's important that we take comfort in the God who sees us and loves us and sent His Son so that we might have good relations with Him and others. This is um, a great text because it points us to the reality that even if we have had a great father, we have a greater father that's found in God himself. Paul said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies, the father of comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, comfort ultimately doesn't come in sentimentality. We actually really need something that's stronger. We need truth. And this message that I'm desiring to give you this morning from this text begins a lot like the book of Ephesians, for example. Starts with doctrinal truth. And then the latter two points are applications that we can really gain strength from the doctrine that we heard. And as we consider earthly fathers who may be great or maybe not as great, we have a heavenly father who is, surpasses all. And we can give thanks for him. And this morning, the big idea that I want us to see in this text is that our Heavenly Father blesses His children with both Son and Spirit. Now, most people are very familiar with um, the concept of God as Father. We maybe have grown up in a mainline church, some of us, and we've heard the teaching of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man as kind of a universal concept But if we look at the Scriptures, we might be surprised that when we think about the fatherhood of God, it's actually an idea that has been planted into the Scriptures from outside, the fatherhood that is being in a universal sense. As you read through the Old Testament, you actually see God being described as the father of one nation and not all the nations. God is described as the father of the, the exclusive father of the nation of Israel. And it's a, a term that's designed to speak about authority. Now, when we get to the New Testament, there's a distinct change that takes place. Jesus was very unique in the world, and when he communicated about Jehovah or Yahweh, he described him as his father individually. Jesus was unlike anyone else in which he was very bold to say that God is his, was his father. And he taught his disciples to pray, our father. Very unique. 
When you get to 2 Corinthians and the text we're in this morning, Paul is very shocking, actually. If you were a Jewish person reading this text, you would be um, maybe agreeing in your mind a little bit here with him because it starts like a Jewish prayer. Blessed be God and Father. It begins somewhat classically, but then it shifts, and it describes God as Father and relationship to Jesus Christ as being Lord. And it's distinctively Trinitarian in the description. And I believe it's helpful for us to see this doctrinal point here before we move into the application, because there is great strength and great comfort for us as we grasp this truth by faith. In verse 3, Paul is making a statement that we can say our Father by grace through faith in Christ alone. You can't possibly agree with this unless you believe it. And you have to believe this. And what Paul is saying to us is that God does bless his children with a relationship of Father. Now, in the Old Covenant... The relationship with Yahweh was, was a very privileged relationship. Uh, God had told the Jews that they were to follow him and not follow other gods. So he was going to be father to the nation. If they would obey his laws, he would bless them. He would make sure that, that all of their cattle birthed properly, that he would give them rain at the right time, that he would reward them with rich blessings. But if they were not to follow his his teaching, then he would actually inflict hardship upon them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30 to 31 says this, when you are in a tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. And notice this last line, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He didn't cease to be their father. He had to discipline them, but he was ready to receive them back again. He was like a father. He was going to be merciful to them. And all this happened to the Jewish nation. This is historical. We've seen in world history that the Jews abandoned their father, and he had to remove them out of the land. And then later, when they broke down and repented, they were brought back into the land Even as late as uh, the 1940s, we've seen them return to the land. A marvel of God's faithfulness. But God had made a promise that one day he would make with them a new agreement, a new covenant. And in Jeremiah 31, 33, he said this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And because of this promise of anticipation, the relationship was going to change. God is now revealed because of what Jesus did as God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that that God is no longer exclusively the father of the Jews. He is also the father of all Gentiles who repent and come and believe in Jesus Christ. 
all now have access to the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. Ephesians 2.18 says this, For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to one Spirit to the Father. We have a beautiful relationship now, opportunity, to have a Father who is a God of mercy and of comfort. But you know, God not only blesses us with that opportunity of relationship with the Father, He also blesses us with the Son. Now, in this text, I see Paul referring indirectly to Jesus. Well, he mentions Jesus by name, but the character of mercy is emblematic. It's, a, it's almost referential to Jesus in giving some mercy to us through that sacrifice. See, Jesus is the foremost blessing that has been bestowed upon humanity. In fact, uh, Peter begins his little letter in 1 Peter with these words. He says, and it almost starts exactly like Paul. He says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so when I see Paul saying the God of mercies, he's shorthanding here, talking about he's given us Jesus. He's given us his son. You see, God withheld mercy from Jesus so that he might be merciful to us. And so that all who call upon his name for the forgiveness of sins receive a mercy from him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, Jesus was the faithful son, the one who obeyed his father's will. And God becomes our loving heavenly father when we trust in the mercies that were applied to us through Jesus. See, we have this great opportunity to have relationship with the Father because the Father has gifted us in mercy, His Son. But not only that, He also has given us the Holy Spirit, who is also known as the Comforter. In this text, notice it says, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, the word comfort tends to have a motherly tone, doesn't it? Now, dads can give comfort. I know that. I've, at least I hope I've been comforting at times. But emotional relief, well-being, physical ease, satisfaction, ease from pain, these are the kinds of things we, we associate with the word comfort. But that's actually not what this word is intended to convey. Some have described that comfort through the years has gone soft. In fact, when the English Bible was first being translated, John Wycliffe was the first to translate this word as comfort from the Latin, which is fortis, which means brave. 
It means strong. It means courageous. And the comfort that that Paul is talking about here has nothing to do with therapy. The gospel is not a tranquilizer that numbs pain. It's what stiffens and strengthens our heart in the midst of affliction. God gives comforting strength to the legs to keep going and following Christ. And where does that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit who takes residence within us and gives us the resolve to follow the Father. It's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Some of us might not realize, but the Holy Spirit was the active agent in the resurrection. It was the undergirding that that kept Christ from falling completely away from the Father. It was the one that brought him out of the grave. And it's that same power that's applied to us. And the truth is, our Heavenly Father blesses his children with Son and Spirit. Paul begins this little letter to the Corinthians with this this doctrinal truth that's intended to give us strength. That's the doctrine. Out of this rebar, we have application. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, and and you have the Holy Spirit applied to you, you have a relationship with the Father. He's not going to let you go. And actually, verse 4 and 5 gives us these two points of application here. And the first is that our Heavenly Father strengthens us through affliction. It's because of all this that we have true strength in affliction. See, in verse 4, he says, This one, this Father of mercies and comfort, he comforts us, he strengthens us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly. And so you've got this application that comes out of it. Did you notice, maybe, maybe you didn't, maybe you did, but in this little verse, he says the word all several times. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. And He says this repeatedly to give us the understanding that it is through all kinds of distress that we experience, we have all that we need because of this relationship with God. Paul is a great example of having lived through much affliction in his life. In fact, he was stoned in several cities. He was dragged out into a theater to be tormented by beasts. He was He was shipwrecked multiple times. It was like he was going from one affliction to another. Now, some of us, we live our life and we think, I just want to get away from, I want ease. Now, I think you would be insane if you had the attitude that you just wanted affliction after affliction. But Paul is describing his attitude in the face of the reality that he has been called as a Christian to face affliction. And he's 
able to do it because of the doctrine that we just observed. He's able to look at God and realize that all affliction, all affliction comes. And it's not accidental at all. Affliction does not catch God by surprise. That God promised persecution for those who follow Christ. In Philippians 1.29, he said, For it has been granted to you for your sake that Christ... Excuse me, let me read that again. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but that you also suffer for his sake. See, God does not promise prosperity or instant gratification. You don't get saved and go to heaven. You have this thing called life that exists in the middle. And it is going to be filled with affliction. See, most of people in our world have a utilitarian view of religion. They, they say, well, if, if I, I, I worship God, therefore I should get peace, prosperity, a full bank account. God is sovereign over all of life, folks. He is in charge of what we would call the good and the bad. And growth doesn't occur in a place of ease. It requires affliction. Just as the body needs to exert itself and exercise, so our spiritual lives need pressure in order for growth to occur. And all of that is designed by a heavenly Father who has given you the Son and the Spirit to ensure that you become who He wants you to be. So I think we ought to take comfort in the fact that affliction does not take God by surprise. It's here from a loving heavenly Father. Comfort comes from God, a second principle here in verse 4, where it says God comforts us in all our affliction. So we have affliction from God, but we also have comfort from God. And remember, the word comfort means to strengthen. God could deliver us out of affliction, and there are times when he does, but there is always, with affliction, there is always strength that God gives to us so that we can bear through it. You know, I know that there are times when we need sympathy, but sympathy by itself doesn't strengthen us. God knows what we truly need, and we pour out our heart to Him, and when we pour out our heart to Him, He strengthens us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. He makes us able to endure. And in that way, we're strengthened by the Comforter. Third point here of application is that Affliction can actually deepen our faith. In verse 4, he says, well, then we're strengthened. There is a strengthening or a deepening of our faith that occurs. Now, I am not much of a weightlifter, but I'm told that when you exercise and you feel the burn, it's a good thing. It's a signal that your body has reached a limit and is tearing and is about to move into a position of repairing itself. 
so that you can endure something harder. You'll be able to move up the, 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 what are the, the weights on the end of the bar. You can go from 15 pounds up to 25. Well, most of us could probably do that. But the reality is, pruning or affliction is a reshaping, it's a removing, it's a diminishing of the appearance of vitality and giving something real. I have uh, lived in southern Ontario and I have always been amazed driving through Vineland, vine country, and seeing the pruned vines. They actually look like there's nothing left to them. And you think, how is that going to come back next year? Well, and it fills the whole trellis in the next year. It's hardly even imaginable that it would actually bear fruit. Not only it does abundantly. Pruning does not hurt the children of God. Pruning actually brings health. It brings hope for the children of God. So when God brings affliction, we are to strengthen ourselves in him. Deepen our faith in him. I, this, I know, is not a great reflection upon the current generation that we have here in America. It's sometimes called the snowflake generation. Now, I think it's intended to be like a snowflake. Each one's individually unique and different, right? But maybe there's another side to it that they burn off pretty quick. The reality is we need hardship. We need it in order to grow. And God knows that. Escape is not the answer. You escape from following Christ. You know what happens? You don't, you don't leave affliction. Even unbelievers have affliction. But we have the hope that any affliction our God gives us is designed to bring growth. But there's another aspect here that's important for us to see is that God's strength then is intended to be shared with others. This is encouraging. Paul writes in verse 4, he says, this all comes so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. It's not, you know, God gives us strength, but it's not intended to just stop right there. It's intended to be shared with other people. If you have received recreative strength, you're then to go find someone and help them so they might take heart and hope. I don't know about you, but you know that corn is really hard on fields. Corn requires an abundance of fertilizer. It's almost like you can't put corn on the same field a second year or a third year because there's nothing there left in the ground that will keep it going. And there are people who follow Christ who are like corn. They suck nutrients out of a soil or a church, but they never put it back into other people. The reality is, is that when God gives you strength, it's for the purpose of pouring out into other people. So you've been, by, you know, you've been strengthened by the Holy Spirit. What do you do now? You go and share that with other people. If you've been strengthened by a ministry, 
or the kindness of others, it's now time for you to share with others. You've been ministered through the nursery, for example. When you're at another place in life where you can serve others, it's now time to serve them. We have many ways in which we need to pour into one another. But this is intended to be a comfort for us, a strength. There is also a third point of application here in verse 5 in which we realize that if we have been given a surplus strength, that that's also opportunity for the gospel and for the church to advance. In verse 5, look what he says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What is he getting at here? We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. What's missing in the sacrifice of Christ that we would necessarily have to participate in to fill up Christ's afflictions? Are they lacking somehow? Paul says something very similar in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, really, there is nothing lacking in the atonement of Christ. His blood is sufficient for the whole world. Except for one thing it's lacking in, and it's in this sense it's lacking. There is not a visible presentation to the world of the cross. The world today can't see the cross. They can't see the agonizing suffering that occurred there, except they see it through you. Christ suffered, and we are called to follow. And in our suffering, when we suffer well, the world takes notice, and they realize that Christ is there in you. And Christ shares with us, we might not like to think of it this way, but a surplus of suffering. We have been given an abundance of suffering for the purpose that the world might take notice of Christ and the cross. Whenever we deny ourselves in order to serve other people, we are suffering for Christ. Now, some of us have to do this much greater than others. I was just recently, this week, in Stroudsburg participating in a uh, board interview with Fellowship International Missions, and we were taking in candidates to go overseas and go to different locations. In fact, we had several people who were from El Salvador who were going to France to be missionaries. They grew up with the Spanish culture. They were having to change and adapt to embrace the French culture. You know, that's difficult. That's hard. That's affliction. And then the reality is, as people see them struggling to learn the language, they begin to say, I'm starting to see that you love me. You, 
you really did all of this sacrifice so that you could bring me this news about Jesus Christ? And in the affliction and in the suffering of, of serving in that way, people begin to see the cross. There is a sharing of Christ's surplus strength that comes along with this. So you're, you're suffering, but you also have strength to be able to do it. I'm not wanting to embarrass anyone in any way. But I know of someone who struggled and suffered in this past year significantly. Significantly. And as a result of his suffering, he was strengthened and he was able to pour himself into another person who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ this year. There is an expansion of the church. There was an indirect result, actually, in someone coming to Christ and whom we were going to baptize this morning. God is not accidental in his giving of suffering for us to partner with him in, but he also gives us strength. See, God hears us. He sees us. We might not have had the best of fathers, and we may not be the best of fathers. We may be suffering some affliction today, and I've not been able to paint or even touch any particular point of your suffering this morning. But it's not on accident that you're suffering. God is in control, and he wants you to be strengthened with a relationship with him through his son. And he gives you the Holy Spirit to be able to endure through it. Entrance into the family this morning. Entrance into that family relationship is by design through Jesus Christ. It is by grace through faith alone. You must believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the only way that you can say, blessed be God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of all comfort. I want to invite you, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you, you open your heart to the reality that he sent his son. His son endured a lack of mercy so that God could be merciful to you. He gave himself, he was poured out so that we might have relationship with him. I invite you to rest in that, to believe that by faith and in faith alone. Let's pray.